Well, hi, everyone. Welcome to Framework Leadership, a podcast about principles and ideas you can use today uh, to take your leadership to the next level. And we are now exclusively a part of the SU Podcast Network. I'm your host, Kent Ingle, president of Southeastern University. And we also have a co-host now on season, uh, season three. This is season four. Oh my gosh! I know season four. All right, it's wild. season four. This it's goes by so wild, fast. So fast. So introduce yourself, Mr. Co-host. Yes, I'm your new co-host, Michael Steiner, SU Chief of Staff. Great to be here. Great to be a part of this legacy and this conversation. It's funny because I've been here. I've actually most people don't know it. I was on the outside of it anyway. <laughs> yeah. So I've actually been a part of the show since season one. That's right. But now we're now just, you're just very visible. Now we're there. Now we're there. And hey, who are we having today, Ken? Well, I am so excited to introduce our guest for today's show, Ben Strout. Ben is a great friend. We have worked together on a lot of projects. Uh, you're the president of Velocity Strategy Solutions, a next-generation business strategy and management consulting firm focusing on you know, helping ambitious leaders really grow and, and drive revenue. Uh, you also uh, a growth architect, business strategist, so we are just so delighted to have you on the show today. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to be here. I, I, I really enjoy both of you, have admired your leadership, Dr. Engel. Uh, you know, both have feeling like I've had a front row seat uh, to the dramatic transformation that you brought about at Southeastern. And of course, that is a that is just one of a hallmark of, of changes that you've brought um, to bear. And, uh, and you've left every place that you've been better than when you got there. And I think that is a true and wonderful uh, and accurate testimony of your legacy. And it's just wonderful to learn from you both uh, when we get to work together and from afar. So I feel very privileged to be here. Well, thank fun, you. Fun fact, I don't know if both of you know this, but Ben, you were actually my first official email back and forth on the job as chief of staff. Day That's one, right. day one, day one. Check we were in out. there, we are going the different stuff, and boom, Ben's troop. Hey, Michael, so great to have you on the job. Here's, you know, we were working on a different project at that point. I don't even remember what the project was, but you had it all laid out for me. So excited to be working with you from here on out. So special, Man. special spot in my heart on that when I think about uh, this wow. journey here. Yeah. email number one. Email number one. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm looking forward to our conversation today about leadership growth and and really the keys to success. And, and, and as a futurist, Ben, you, you have served organizations, wow, well over 18 years, helping them develop teams and, and gain revenue. What strategies right now do you think bring businesses the most success in our environment today? Well, I think there's a couple of things that are really, really important. And one is, is I, I think we're in what I call the age of empathy, yeah. um, which means that uh, relational uh, relationships are the currency. Uh, and so trust, being able to listen, being able to adapt, something that you've taught about as your fundamental principles, Dr. Engel, uh, are such a core part of leadership today. Um, I think it is why that we're seeing uh, the movement around DEI yeah. um, really kind of come to the forefront. I think it's why we're we're seeing kind of a, a struggle between, you know, what's the right work environment? Are we in the office? Are we at home? I mean, those are all circumstantial, but they're representative of, I want to create the right environment for people to thrive. And I think mm -hmm. we're more aware today, there are different work styles, people show up differently at work. And when we presume or assume or project that one one work style is better than the other, we miss the whole. Mm -hmm. And so in as kind of an extension of that, I'm seeing an, a really heightened awareness around the need for interdisciplinary and cross-functional teams. Wow, in cool. other words, we're going to bring people together to look at 
uh, a single problem from multiple vantage points. And I think that's a real hallmark of where leadership is today. I think the second is that we're starting to realize that human perception is limited. Mm. And I really think this is why data is being elevated uh, to the strategy table when it used to be kind of a response to the conversation at the strategy table, because data allows us to be able to rise above our personal preferences, confirmation bias, um, things that we've seen before, and begin to look at what we thought we were so sure about in a way that might lead us to a new insight. And so I think those are really two characteristics of leadership today that we're still growing into and still learning how to adapt, but very, very formative and very informative of where leadership is going. One of my favorite things about our conversations, even back when we were working together, is you have this capacity to see see the much bigger picture. I mean, how many times have we been sitting over barbecue, we're talking right. about a problem, and you can give us the, the 10,000, 20,000, 70,000 foot view, that kind of stratospheric view. How can leaders develop that kind of view of their organization and even the industries and things happening around them so that they're not caught off guard by these kind of macro changes? One of the things that I think is really important is they have to create a culture of learning, mm. um, which that, that, that really presumes three things. And I think Patrick Lencioni in his book, uh, you know, the ideal team player really sums it up well. Humble, hungry, and smart um, are really good ways to think about it. You need somebody who's um, humble enough to recognize that they don't have all the answers. And when you have that, you have somebody who's willing to learn, grow, adapt, be exposed to new things. Very important. Hungry is I'm still... I still believe that there's more to achieve than what I've already done. Um, and I think that's really, really important. I think there was a huge reset that happened last year um, where a lot of leaders thought that they had reached the kind of penultimate of their experience and they were just going to coast. They were yeah. just going to see incremental improvement. And that just wasn't the case. And then smart is recognizing that discernment and wisdom are really, really valuable, which mm -hmm. means that we have to couple what we know with what we've experienced in order to kind of blend those two things together. Uh, and so, I, you know, I, I think I think creating that culture of learning is is so important because without that, uh, we tend to default to what we're most comfortable with, and we never get the opportunity to see and consider new possibilities that lead to new breakthroughs. So, let me ask you: How does a leader know? if they don't have that culture of learning? Like what are some of the tells they need if they're reflecting on their leadership and their organization? What are the things that could be like a red flag to say, hey, this is an area we probably need to work on together? So I think one is if you have a team that doesn't disagree with you, you don't have a culture of learning. Right. That's yeah. huge. Um, because you need people to see the problem from multiple vantage points. And if you if somebody's not disagreeing with you, then you really do. You have a leadership problem and you have a, have a learning mm -hmm. problem. I think the other thing is if you don't have voices speaking from outside the organization into the organization, uh, and I know that some may sound self-serving because of what velocity is and the role right. that, uh, that we play in organizations, but I think it's so critical and important. It's not a luxury. It's absolutely essential because what you don't know can hurt you. Um, one of the things that I always look for when I start working with an organization is what is the average tenure of the senior leadership team? And on average, I'm seeing anywhere between 15 and 20 years. 
That means that team, on average, their average tenure has not been outside the organization in nearly two decades, sometimes longer. Wow. So the uh, wow. the myopic reality that begins to set in is is really um, is really detrimental in the long run, and you don't even oh, don't even realize it. And then I think the other part of learning is. What are you stopping? What are you what are you deciding to stop doing so that you can start doing something new? And I think, you know, this is a real key principle in Henry Cloud's necessary endings, right? Yeah. Uh, tells the story of the CEO that comes in, he shuts down two divisions, two or three divisions. Um, those vice presidents just couldn't imagine because they were productive and profitable. And what did the CEO say? He said, Yeah, but they won't be in five years. Mm-hmm. So what are you stopping now? that you feel comfortable with so that you can make space in order to be able to grow in the right ways. Without those things, you don't have a culture of learning. Yeah. And it goes back to that mindset. And we've talked about this a lot. It's it's all about that sigmoid curve mm-hmm. and understanding the inflection points and when you have to make the kinds of transitions and changes. And it's usually at the time when you think everything's great and everything's going well. You know, you, your strategies with, with um, businesses involve, you know, aligning teams by... Uh, simplifying technology. Um, uh, tell us a little bit, Ben, how you developed this process and personally discovered its effectiveness and how it works. So we we are living in what I believe to be the end of the industrial age. Industrial age was all about division of labor and the efficiency that that brings. So right. in other words, um, the system before you is part of the broader system, but it is irrelevant to you if you're outside that system. Mm -hmm. So that means if we're talking about assembling a car, if my job is to put the rear bumper on and your job is to put the front windshield on, even if I have an idea about how to make that windshield better, it's it, I'm not, I won't be listened to and I won't be considered because my job is to do the thing that's right in front of me. We've designed our organizations, even in the knowledge space, to be industrial complexes where we have different measures, different definitions, different scorecards. And we wonder why when we pit those orga- or put those organizations next, next to each other, they feel as if they've been pitted um, between Um, and amongst each other. And so we don't have a common scorecard. We aren't really organizing around what the ideal outcome is. Um, And so, so therefore, we institutionalize ways in which we kind of perpetuate what we believe to be true. And that's through business rules, that's through processes, that's through technology and all of that. And so when you start to look at it and answer a question of lifetime value or in a nonprofit, how do I how do I really enhance a 360 degree donor experience? Or in a for-profit setting, how do I make sure that I'm organizing and delivering an exceptional client experience? You can't do that if the organization is uh, engrossed um, in how do they preserve what they believe to be true, um, which is why sometimes in board meetings, you hear different VPs, all like the organization is declining, but every VP is giving a story of how their, their division is up. Well, every division can't be up and the organization be declining. Um, it's a hallmark of the fact that we, we aren't looking at shared scorecards. So when you start saying, what is, what is the common problem that we're trying to solve? And how does each function within a business have a common scorecard that contributes to that? Mm. You flip the script. Now we're all working toward a common success rather than ensuring my own success 
whatever it has in relationship to you. And then what comes in behind that is we have to understand how do we create processes, technology that reduces the friction so that people are able to actually uh, deliver on that particular outcome. Yeah. And this is a phrase you say a lot, Ken, in our leadership team meetings that you can't lead what you can't measure. Right. And if you're not taking the time to holistically both agree on what you're measuring and agree on that scorecard, you can't, it's not, there's no leadership happening. You're just throwing out principles. How can teams, Ben, in your opinion, arrive at that common common scorecard? How do they collaboratively come up and put that together as a team? So when you think about the revenue system within an organization, you can typically break that down into marketing, sales, and service. Mm -hmm. And what's the typical conversation? Marketing says, wow, I'm working a lot and I'm producing leads. Sales says, I can't close anything because the leads from marketing aren't any good. And service says, I can't keep a customer because the promises that sales makes, um, you know, aren't, aren't, consistent with reality so we can't retain customers and everybody's pointing the finger at each other rather than saying i tell you what instead of marketing worrying about marketing principles and sales worrying about sales and service worrying about service let's organize around the customer Mm -hmm. what is it going to take so how does marketing sit with the salespeople while they're doing prospecting listening to the objections um responding to proposals and questions looking at rfps walking people through that process how does service integrate it into marketing so that those expectations are really um, you know, brought into that. I mean, it's, it's the, the basis of that is that design thinking um, idea right. yeah. of cross-pollination. And so when we do that, we say, well, what would it look like to have sales, marketing, and service all reaching toward the same outcomes? And But they contribute to those outcomes in different ways. Now, all of a sudden, when the, when the problem is we want to increase pipeline velocity, we have somebody from marketing, somebody from sales, and somebody from service actually contributing to that conversation. And uh, and I think that's what it's going to take for people to be aware of what happens before that uh, that particular process comes to them and what happens after it and how that contributes to health. Yeah, so good. Ben, I want to transition a little bit here. You've written and and edited dozens of books on leadership and growth. You're you're a frequent speaker, podcast guest for business and industry groups. What kind of rhythm uh, have you personally found when it comes to developing new content and working with uh, different types of people and new people? So uh, for me personally, I'm always uh, I'm always reading. So, I mean, I think the input of information, the exposure to new information Mm -hmm. is really good. And and I always try to incorporate people that I know I'm going to disagree with in my reading. That's good. Because it helps me see from the inside out and from the outside in. Um, I think the second thing is, is I really try to talk to as many people as possible. I want to get different perspectives, takes. I want to get that kind of qualitative input. Um, which is really key. Um, I pay very close attention, particularly to the industries that I work in the most, looking at any kind of research reports that are coming out so that I can understand the macro trends. And if I can understand the the ideas that are being shared, the macro trends across those industries, and then the, the individual leadership experience, that really helps me stay connected to what I call the friction in the field. Yeah. Um, and that friction point is the tension between uh, the, each individual experiences uh, when they recognize where they want to be and where they are. 
Hmm. And the more I can stay kind of glued into that tension, it's, it's really, really important. I think an, another part of that is good mentors. Hmm. Um, and Dr. Engel, you are such an advocate for this. Yeah. Um, and I love how you describe it. Some, some mentor relationships are lifetime right. and some of them are for a season, but that doesn't mean it's any less important. You constantly need people to speak into your life, to call you on your own bias and blind spots and to challenge you to be the leader that they see you to be. Yeah. Um, and I think that that is so undervalued. We don't make time for that. Uh, we don't make room for that. And then a third part that I'm becoming more aware of in my own leadership is peer accountability. Yeah. Mm. How do I find places where I am with peers? Maybe we're not all in the same organization. Maybe we're not even all in the same industry, but we're in the same kind of life cycle stage age, those kinds of things. And how, how does their struggles help me recognize that I'm not crazy yeah. and how can their insights help me and how can my insights um, help them? I think those are three very, very important areas. And if, if I were to add a fourth one, it would be the fact that I'm finally starting to realize that um, as you know, leadership lead, leaders are human and running, trying to run like an engine and be quote unquote efficient is really against the nature and grain of how we're designed as humans. And so really beginning to discover how rest um, and how that space and margin in your life really makes space for you to synthesize ideas and see new insights. Yeah. So how do you, you know, and I think this is a big this is a big issue that a lot of students uh, get into as they come into college, right? This massive overwhelm of information. Um, but the people that, that really are successful are like what you said, can overcome it, create a system for processing it, digesting it, and kind of keeping it. So what does your system look like for kind of processing all this new information that you have to stay relevant to the context and keep up with, with the changing times? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm a big fan of uh, working in 90 day sprints. Love it. Um, and so I do that even even in my own personal life. So I'll create annual goals. Uh, and then uh, and then because I follow your lead, Dr. Engel, I will have a word for the year, yeah. um, which will shape those goals. Uh, and then I break those goals down into 90-day segments. And so each of those I call 90-day outcomes. And then I do uh, monthly milestones, weekly commitments, and daily mm. initiatives. Um, and so literally, I'm, I'm reassessing with myself every seven days, am I up, down, or sideways? Mm. And then every month, I know how close am I to uh, reaching those quarterly outcomes? How well did I do with the monthly? And even the mid-quarter, I give myself a progress report. Yeah. Um, what did, what did I learn? What's new? And how likely am I to actually deliver on that? Because I believe the shorting, shortening the distance between kind of the results and the input really helps you stay closer to the tension and helps you be much more uh, adaptable and wow. agile. Um, it also significantly increases, I found, uh, my, uh, my propensity to actually deliver on those outcomes. And so rather than waiting until the end of the year and making the, making the, you know, the Hail Mary pass, hoping it all works out, um, I want to do that every seven days because that gives me a chance to renegotiate with myself, mm -hmm. um, with the people who are holding me accountable and my family and how I need to grow and adapt. Yeah. You know, your your most recent book, uh, Master the Pilot, was released in 2020, and it actually provides a lot of strategic insights on leading specifically in times of uncertainty. Uh, tell us a little bit about personal experience where it was difficult to navigate change and, and actually how you overcame it. 
Yeah. So I've broken that process down into three major pillars, frame, focus, and grow. Um, So my experience tells me that the hardest part about creating change within an organization is getting everyone to agree that the problem is the problem. Mm. Right. Uh, and this is really hard at the executive leadership table. I call it, you know, sometimes people call call it herding cats. I call it at the executive table, I call it herding tigers. Yeah. Uh, because you really have strong personalities with strong experience, very competitive. But if you can't agree on what the problem is, you don't have an anchor to work from. And then the second part on focus is what is success? And not success being just this general term of growth. And we want to do more. And we want to be bigger. But what does that look like? When I show up to that, whatever that marker is, how am I going to know that I'm there? And how am I going to be able to know whether I came behind it, at it, or ahead of it? And once you get everybody to agree on those, you have those two points in which you can pivot from. And then that, that third part of grow is that how do you create those measurable, scalable, and repeatable processes um, that become that become the, um, to use your word, the framework mm-hmm. by which you you kind of move through those different modalities until you become that particular organization. And if you if you'll do that, that frame, focus, and grow process, it absolutely increases your um, propensity. But if you believe that's a problem and the leadership team doesn't believe it's a problem, then then you can't you, you can't even get off center. Right. And honestly, that's where I think a lot of leadership teams get stuck. Um, and, and I find that that's where in, injecting data into the conversation really allows it to be a diplomat and allows it to say things and help people see things that they wouldn't otherwise see. And that, I think, once you hit that, the rest of it is very process-oriented. Yeah, yeah. So, so good. good, so good. Um, so what, let me ask you this, as you've been diving into this process and thinking about it in I think this past year, there's a lot on the table for us, a lot of different leaders kind of reflecting, okay, how do we move on, um, even though we still have no idea what the what the future is going to hold, right? So we're living in a situation where we really want this pandemic to be over, but it just doesn't quite want to go down. What is the first thing that leaders can do to avoid kind of distressing over the unknown? Yeah. Uh, so I think one is we have to shift where we find our strength and our foundation. Um, and there, there's a, there's a, you know, religious spiritual aspect of that, but there's also a business aspect of that. Um, the truth is, is that, uh, markets have always been volatile. Uh, we just, we just have insulated ourselves from that through either past success Um, or through engineering information to confirm what we believe to be true. Um, But there was disruption happening for a long time if you if you were spending a lot of time in the market, and that was that was where mm-hmm. really the impetus for velocity came from. I saw the pressure outside the organization creating change within the organization faster than the organization could could observe, assimilate, and integrate uh, into how it was operating. And so that that is a that's a really key part is that I think you have to shift that to that learning mindset, that growth mindset that agility mindset. And there are some realities to that that you have to reconcile. Mm-hmm. One is growth comes with a certain degree of entropy. Yeah, um, There is going to be chaos in growth. 
Growth become means that you're going to break something you didn't intend to break. Mm-hmm. Um, growth means that you're going to be stretched and taken into places that are uncomfortable and beyond your current capacity in mm-hmm. order to achieve. We have this facade that we love growth. Everybody wants growth, but nobody wants um, the uncertainty that comes with it. And so we have created these facades of security that we saw really broken apart. And so I think we have to recognize that conversation, that really staying connected to who we're trying to serve, that reconnecting with our purpose and our mission and our why, and that examining what is the solution that we're solving for and does anybody still want it? Mm. I mean, mind you, when Henry Ford came out with the Model T, there was still a whole industry group deciding what the next advent, uh, advantage would be with the horse and buggy. Right. All of the research was around <laughs> that. All of the industry was around All of the conferences that were around that. They completely disregarded it. The publishing industry did it with Bezos. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. The music industry did it with uh, Jobs. Mm-hmm. So, so this is our opportunity to say, what are we going to anchor in? And my fundamental belief, if you anchor yourself in the problems, challenges, obstacles, and challenges that the person you're trying to solve or help or elevate are dealing with on a day-to-day basis, and you be, you engineer your entire company around resolving those, you will always know, the inte- always have the intelligence to adapt your product, mm-hmm. your process, and your engagement in order to move the needle forward. Wow. Man, we could we could talk. I, I love having conversation with you. It reminds me of why uh, I enjoy doing projects with you. Yes, you right. you are an amazing uh, change leader and uh, and just man, powerful. Well, we're gonna we're gonna move into our fire round uh, and close out our conversation. We just want to ask you a few questions surrounding kind of everything we've just discussed and and just of course answer with your gut. You always do that well, and we just want to grab a few practical and applicable pieces of advice from your experience for our listeners. So. We'll begin. Michael, you can fire away the first one. I think we have about three questions here. Yep. Yep. Okay. So to warm us up, get us started, how do you handle disappointment when things don't go right the first time? Um, the right way or the way I should? Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, Give me both. Give me both. Come on. <laughs> uh, dis- disappointment. Uh, I probably need to go for a run if it's mm-hmm. a big disappointment. Yes. Right. Um, and and I probably need to be mad about it for a day and then uh, and then take take a good long uh, rest and then come back the next day with fresh eyes and determine what's next. Mm -hmm. That's good. What is the best piece of advice that you would give to a young person struggling to uh, adjust to a new career or a new position? Find people who are successful and get uh, and, and ask them how they became successful. It's really irrespective of whether or not it's specifically about what you think is interesting. What I, what I did early on is I did these little handwritten notes and I asked people for 29 minutes of their time. Mm. Um, and I never had anybody tell me no, and I never had anybody stop at the 29 minute mark. And I asked them four questions. Um, what do you love about what you do? What do you not like about what you do? What decisions did you make that led to where you are? And if you could go back to where, where, to tell yourself when you were where I was at the time, what would you tell yourself? And um, what what I learned from those experiences and from that wisdom, I carry with me today. Mm-hmm. So find people who are successful, get in front of them, figure out what they have to say, and absorb it. Yep. Last question: How can leaders achieve excellence without compromising their well-being? Mm, that's a that's a tough one. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, this is a this is. Uh, 
this world that we're, we're emerging into or maybe becoming aware of, maybe would be a better way to say it, um, is, it's, a, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Mm. Um, and we've really been enamored since the tech industry really started to birth these outfits that would you know, start, grow, and sell for hundreds of millions of dollars or billions of dollars in four to six years. It's really, if you study just business cycles, it just, it just doesn't make any sense. It's so out of sync with everything else. But if that's all you've known, you think you're four to six years away from a big payout. But you can't create systemic change in the world, whether it's mm. business, nonprofit, church, wherever, in four to six years. It's just not going to happen. So gear up for a marathon. And a marathon is about staying in the game longer than anyone else. Right. Yeah. Well, Ben, I want to thank you for joining us today on, on Framework Leadership. You are a powerful, powerful futurist. Grateful for your insights you provided our listeners today. And it's just been a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And uh, rooting for both of you guys. A lot of admiration, a lot of respect. Love what you're doing. Love what you continue to do. And keep keep leading strong. Thank you. If you want to stay up to date with Ben, you can follow him on Twitter at Ben underscore Straup. That's S-T-R-O-U-P. And uh, as always, for more leadership content, make sure you check us out on Instagram, Kent underscore Ingle, or Twitter at Kent Ingle. If you are watching us on YouTube right now, this is a great spot to hit that subscribe button, hit that like button so that you can continue to get leadership content directly to your feed. Also, if you want us right in your inbox, go check out our website, KentIngle.com. Sign up for our newsletter so that you can get the freshest leadership content every single week in your inbox. Thank you so much for listening to Framework Leadership today. Hey, take care, everybody.